Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Radio Wasteland, your favorite show about the paranormal in the entire intergalactic armada thing we belong to. All right, we're going to get started here right now. Today, Kara, you got some news for us. Uh, yes, I do. A couple items for you. Um, first of all, there was a UFO sighting in Keller, Texas. An odd tic-tac-shaped object floating motionless in the sky was caught on camera. Uh, there were no scheduled blimp flights in the area, but there was also only one individual who reported it to the authorities. Uh, Bob Lazar, the man who brought Area 51 to public consciousness, claims he's still being monitored by the government in a new documentary. Now, when I say he brought Area 51 to the public consciousness, he claimed in the 80s that he had uh, witnessed work on flying saucers there. Um, the documentary is called Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers by Jeremy Corbell, who previously did documentaries on a surgeon removing E.T. implants and on Skinwalker Ranch. In more macabre news, Mikhail Popkov was convicted of a further 56 murders on top of the early, uh, on top of his earlier 22. Um, he's a Russian serial killer known alternatively as the Angarsk Maniac or the Werewolf. Um, given this, he's uh, due to be uh, transported to the notorious Russian prison, the Black Dolphin, which is sort of the Azkaban of Russia. I guess if you only kill 20-some people, you're not bad enough to go there, but once you get over 50, then, yeah, makes sense. then things get really <laughs> serious. And finally, in more Russian news, a Russian operative, Maria Butina, is expected to plead guilty on charges of acting as a foreign agent in the U.S. without notifying the U.S. Attorney General. She's been accused of helping to illegally funnel money from Russian oligarchs to uh, the NRA. Now, this isn't part of Robert Mueller's, special counsel Robert Mueller's well-known Russia inquiry. This is a separate matter, but it may... Um, wind up influencing the collusion investigation. More on this story as it develops, unless Putin can pony up some serious cash, in which case I may see that it gets forgotten. Back to you, Chauncey. What was that? Uh, you ask him for cash? Is that how much you want? I, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> oh, to be honest. <laughs> you're like a sleeper agent. <laughs> You know, the the first thing in the news that really sort of stands out to me is like, a, you know, I remember like UFOs. There's like a saucers. There's a bunch of saucers. Everybody's all, we're seeing saucers. Yeah. And then it seemed like triangles were popular. Mm -hmm. And then everybody's seeing triangles. And they're going back and they're saying, hey, there's been old, some older triangles. Now it seems they're all Tic Tacs. Yeah, well, to be fair, I think a saucer or a cigar or whatever you want to say would probably look kind of like a Tic Tac from a distance. Maybe. You know, yeah. it's... That's just kind of what things look like when you look at them from a great distance. There were pictures of this particular UFO encounter. You can see it at sunset. It's sort of this white blob on the horizon. and mm. it's, it's not moving, which is the odd part. So it's clearly not a cloud, and normally when you're talking about aircraft, they move, except maybe for blimps, which there right. weren't any up in, in the sky at the time. So uh, Jake Hinton, who's been on this show before, uh, talked about Haunted Okinawa. He mm -hmm. is... Uh, he was a Marine for eight years. That's when right. we were talking about some of these things, he pointed out to us a, a murder kill machine. 
Do you remember seeing the videos of this thing? Ah, uh, yes, yes. And, and he every time I hear TikTok, I I start to think that maybe Jake was right about <laughs> that. You know. Um, but you would think you would see it hopping on the horizon. Right, and that also begs the question of what a murder-kill machine was doing. and <laughs> Murder-kill machine being the technical yeah, I, term. I don't know if that's the word he used. but <laughs> What it was doing floating in Keller, Texas. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, right. I don't think there's any military base. But well, they got to test it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. And why not above some random small town in Texas? <laughs> right, exactly. And then the other thing that, man, in the news, man, this uh, this Russia stuff seems to just be uh, kind of going crazy, you know? Yeah, well, you know, it's like a it's like a hydra. There's, you know, there's so many different angles and heads and branching. There's just a lot of aspects to it. This this whole thing isn't even related to, as I said, to Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation. Well, not if. Not officially, anyway. It's not the same people doing it. Yeah, but what about the karaoke? Weren't they in love? What? You haven't seen what I'm talking about? I have no idea what okay, you're talking when, about. Okay, when this girl that you're talking about, what's her Maria name again? Butina. Right. When she was first accused, her, her lawyer put out a video of her with her boyfriend doing, like, Disney karaoke in Russia. And it was supposed to illustrate how in love they were and how it wasn't really, how she's really not a... A uh, Soviet operative. <laughs> I'm serious. This uh, happened. I, yeah. I see. Well, uh, and it was ridiculous because it's like two grown people singing a whole new world. It's like a SNL sketch, you know. But huh. uh, I don't know. It's it's weird to to think. So she's expected to plead guilty. She is expected to plead guilty that she was here trying to. Uh, right. Well, all she's pleading guilty to is that she was representing Russia. And that she didn't notify the attorney general. So I suspect the fine points of, you know, what she's accused of is trying to uh, basically influence the Trump campaign through the NRA and on the side, like basically influencing the NRA with Russian money. So I am in no way saying that the Russians doing this is acceptable. It is not acceptable. I'm not down with it. Uh, you know, everybody's concentrating on Trump and they're saying, oh, Trump's doing this that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. Take Trump out of it entirely. Let's remove Trump. Yeah. Because a lot of this could have happened without Trump. Because oh, yeah. a lot of it went on online. You know, a lot of it was was influenced via advertising, you know, just typical advertising. I mean, and and we know that that was going on. And, and it just makes me wonder, are all these big countries doing this to one another? Are we doing it to China and Russia and China doing it to us, too? Is this is this the new world of media battle? Uh, yeah, you know, it's not clear. And um, is the battle still democracy versus communism? <laughs> oh, well, it's certainly not democracy versus communism. But Well, I mean, it, that's what it was for the past... Yeah, yeah, it was. I think now it's. I really don't know. I get one what, nation versus another, but right. it's not. Right. It's like <laughs> it's like digital imperialism or like uh, democracy versus not democracy. Cause, right. I mean, Russia is in no way democratic. Right. Right, and but. they're also really not a communism. You know, both. Yeah. Well, they. Yeah, they. They haven't been communist since since the USSR fell. Right. right and arguably, true. they weren't. Really before, well. <laughs> yeah, China really isn't either. Right. All right. Coming up tonight, we have Jason McClellan talking about his book. Only weirdos see UFOs. Mm. Is it true? Do only weirdos <laughs> see UFOs? I bet you quite a few of you out there have seen something in the night sky. Are you a weirdo? 
I'm sure his title is a bit tongue-in-cheek. We'll find out when we come back to Radio Wasteland with our guest, Jason McClellan. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, Jason McClellan. Jason, do we have you there with us? I hope you have me with you. Uh, we do. I can hear <laughs> you just fine. All right, awesome. Jason, welcome to Radio Wasteland. You know, I'm going to start out with the typical question I always ask, and that is, you know, uh, how did you get involved with UFOs, especially to the point of wanting to write a book about it? UFOs literally landed in my lap. I don't know, you know, I, I didn't really have an interest in UFOs early in life. I had a, a casual interest. I was always a, you know, a sci-fi fan. I grew up on Star Trek and Star Wars, and I'd even seen interesting things in the sky that I could say are UFOs, but I didn't really pursue that as a career until I was working for somebody at a, at a company uh, just doing marketing, and that individual came in my office one day and said, you know, I've always wanted to start a company all about UFOs. So I poked him a little bit. I said, that's fascinating. Tell me more. And sort of together, we, over a period of a, almost a year, sort of put all the puzzle pieces together and launched a business focused on UFOs and extraterrestrials. And that business still exists to this day. I'm no longer with that company, but it's called Open Minds, and they are really the only for-profit company that's all about UFOs and extraterrestrials, but at that company, we produced a print magazine that was distributed internationally. We produced the largest UFO conference in the world. Uh, we did TV, we did radio, all sorts of things. So for a period of six years, I was paid a salary to be a full-time UFO researcher and investigator. Man, that's like a dream job for a lot of people. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, nobody gets to say that, you know, and it, it kind of just fell on my lap and I ran with it. Right. And yeah, I mean, that that was I left that probably four or five years ago now, but I haven't been able to escape the world of UFOs because when you <laughs> that's a, a part of your life for, for so long and, and that deep of a level, um, you can't escape it. And I wouldn't want to. I love you know, I love weird. I love the strange. I love that exploration. So it's still a part of my life. Did you have any concern coming out of it that uh, if you tried to get another job being connected to the UFOs would be an issue? Oh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, the thing I learned very quickly being involved in the UFO field is that, and especially being involved professionally, what I learned from people outside the UFO world, you know, just, just the general public, is that everybody's interested in this topic in one way or another, and many of them have their own personal experiences so, of course, the ridicule factor is there. There's a stigma surrounding the topic of UFOs, but everybody has that interest. So once they find out what, when the topic is broached, when they find out that you actually do UFOs for a living and you take it seriously, they kind of giggle at first, but when they realize that you're being serious, mm -hmm. then they open up. They're all, oh, that's cool. Yeah, my, my brother saw a UFO, or, you know, and the stories just start flooding out. Yeah, UFOs seem to be one of those things that – that uh, everybody has seen or no, no, not everybody has seen, but that everybody knows somebody that they find to be somewhat credible who's seen right. something, you know, uh, just like ghosts. It's like these are the two sort of mainstays of the paranormal community because so many people know people that they trust who claim to have seen something. So I assume yeah, right. that the title of your book is somewhat tongue-in-cheek. 
It absolutely is. And the important part of the book is the subtitle, of course, but I intentionally left that, uh, you know, very long and very small. So <laughs> the only weirdo see UFOs grabs people's attention, and I love the reactions I get because I speak a lot at, uh, like, Comic-Cons and, and UFO conferences and things like that, and I'll have a, a table set up with my book, and I will see those people who across the, the aisles will catch my, the, the title of the book will catch their eye. They'll see it. They'll read it. Then I see the forehead wrinkle. I see the head move up, and I get the stink eye. And those people come marching over and want to give me a piece of their mind because they've seen a UFO, and they take their UFOs very seriously, and they want to tell me you know, how wrong I am for making fun of UFOs. I pick up the book, and I hold it in front of them, and I ask them to read the subtitle, which is an introduction to the public's misperception of unidentified aerial phenomena and extraterrestrial life. And that's really what the book's about because the – Really, still to this day, the general public views UFOs as being this silly thing, and people who see UFOs or claim to see UFOs are those uneducated hillbillies who live in you know the middle of nowhere, and you know they're just absolutely crazy. And right. that's not the case. People from all walks of life see UFOs every day all around the world. Well, what I took offense to from the title is, as a weirdo who takes being a weirdo seriously, I have personally <laughs> never seen a UFO. Yeah. But uh, What are you saying about weirdos? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, that, that's the other reaction I get, because I'll get people come up and give me high fives. They're all, all right, weirdo right here. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. I'm, celebration I'm of owning weirdo, yeah, and yeah. I love that. That's funny. That's funny. All right, so um, can you give us a basic rundown of what the book's about before we go to our break? Yeah, absolutely. So the book Only Weirdos See UFOs really tackles that or presents the introduction to that very statement that everybody sees UFOs, and it kind of runs through and gives little examples of people from various, I guess, groupings like musicians, celebrities, athletes, politicians, uh, government personnel, military people, kind of runs through and lists some of their, their personal sightings, also runs through some of those different categories and talks about some well-known people and the statements they've made about their personal beliefs about UFOs and extraterrestrial life. Mm. So going into this, were you a skeptic? I, I've certainly become more open-minded, and I've being in this so long, I've heard so many incredible stories from high-ranking military officials, from government people, um, from very credible witnesses, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, so I've certainly entertained a lot more than I, I had previously. Like I said, I mean, I to this day, I've seen probably a dozen what I would qualify as UFOs, things that I can't have, I, I can't come up with a rational explanation for. And having been involved in the UFO field for so many years professionally, I got pretty darn good at being able to rule out a lot of the things that are commonly reported as UFOs. Right, right. Okay, so um, of of these people that you have, you say you have people from all walks of life, um, and and you say a lot are coming from the military. Uh, you know, what's what's one or two from the military that 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 we should know about? Well. You know, some of the more interesting ones to me involve fighter jets because there's been mm. so, so much of that in mainstream media in recent years, you know, with the, uh, the stupidly named Tic Tac UFO and, <laughs> you know, some of these other things. But um, 
Iran has had some really interesting military cases where they've scrambled various fighter jets over the years. And there was an article in the October 2013 issue of the military aviation magazine, Combat Aircraft Monthly, that detailed the history of the F-14 Tomcat and how the, the Iranian Air Force used that fighter. And they detail a couple of instances where those fighter jets were scrambled to intercept UFOs, and the UFO affected the fighter jets by shutting down their systems, by preventing it from firing missiles, and in some cases causing the fighter jets to explode as they took off. Jeez. In Iran. In Iran, yep. In Iran, wow. A fighter jet exploding is no small thing, too. That's not something you can write off. That's a... I don't know right. how much a fighter jet costs, millions or, or what, but a lot. <laughs> Quite an expensive toy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you would think that would be something that our news media and our government would pique interest about. <laughs> Absolutely. But there, there were cases just this past year, um, one in particular in Oregon, in the Portland area, where the, the ground um, towers were using commercial aircraft in the sky to help them identify a UFO that was in the sky. They spotted it on radar temporarily, but then that went away. But commercial aircraft were seeing this object in the sky as they were flying. So, And all of this FAA uh, radio communication is available for the public. So you can listen oh, to yeah. communication going back and forth where they're trying to figure out what this object is. F-15s were eventually scrambled. The military scrambled fighter jets. The fighter jets couldn't find this thing. Yeah, I so think we there talked was about that a UFO happened, instance actually. where we had an unknown in the sky and we couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't find it. So what is the military's take on this? I mean, does the military, every time a jet is scrambled for something, are they sort of obligated to put out a press release? No, not really. But, I mean, this stuff seemingly happens quite frequently. There are, there are frequent encounters with UFOs and commercial aircraft. And, in fact, mm -hmm. in the U.K., there's a special uh, branch of their version of the FAA called the uh, UK Air Prox Board that that's what they do. They're specifically tasked with investigating near misses with UFOs and commercial aircraft to try to identify these things and look at, look at it from a, a stance of aircraft safety. But, but we don't have anything publicly like that here in the United States that we know of. Not necessarily. The FAA has, has been very lax about their, their UFO um, reporting. They've always <laughs> passed their UFO reports off to other organizations. But we know that up until at least 2012, uh, the Pentagon had a program that we just learned about last December that was looking into UFOs again when the military for, you know, since 1969 has told us they had no interest in UFOs anymore. But we know for a period of five years, from 2017 to 2012, that the Pentagon had an active UFO program. All right. Well, uh, we're about to go to break. You are listening to Jason McClellan here on Radio Wasteland talking about his new book, Only Weirdos See UFOs. Come on back. All right. Welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, Jason McClellan. We're talking about his book, Only Weirdos See UFOs. You know, before we went to break, we were talking about fighter pilots and, and aircraft pilots. You know, the one that's always piqued my interest is um, astronauts. Do you have any astronauts um, talking about sightings in this book? Not in this book. Um, there are plenty of astronauts who have broached the subject. Um, a lot of the UFO stories with astronauts 
are more a twisting of words, I've found. Mm-hmm. Um, so not truly representative of what astronauts have said about UFOs. But there are plenty who have strong opinions about UFOs and in support of extraterrestrial life, for sure. But I don't cover any astronauts in my book. Yeah, yeah, and that's always been my interest with the astronauts, because every time somebody's saying, like, oh, well, this guy saw, said he saw that, and these people said they saw this out the window and stuff, I always think, like, you know, how much credibility is there to this? Wouldn't it be bigger news if a, if an astronaut was saying this? Right, and there have been plenty of headlines in mainstream media about, you know, some things, some some interviews with uh, with astronauts and the things they've said. A lot of it's taken out of context, um, and later yeah. these astronauts have gone to clarify themselves. But you know, there are plenty of plenty of astronauts. Edgar Mitchell was one who's a firm believer in extraterrestrial life, in UFO visitation, things like that. Yeah. But I will say in my book, I do do mention uh, a NASA individual. His name is Richard Hoover. He is the individual who started NASA's astrobiology program. Astrobiology is the scientific study of of life and specifically life elsewhere. So scientists look at life here on Earth because that's really the only baseline we have. That's what we know. So we look at life as we know it. So we look in the most extreme environments here on Earth. So they go to Antarctica and they take deep core ice samples and look at these extremophiles, these these microorganisms that can survive in the most extreme conditions here on Earth. And that gives scientists a better understanding of the possible worlds where life could exist. So the gentleman who started NASA's astrobiology program, his name is Richard Hoover, he's publicly stated many times and published papers in mainstream scientific journals to this effect, stating that we have already discovered extraterrestrial life. Hmm. Really? Then why isn't this bigger news? I don't know. I guess that's a rhetorical question. I know nobody knows. Well, certainly, you know, people in the UFO field and, you know, dealing with UFOs and aliens, people like to to feel that we're picked on, you know, and other other fields don't have to deal with this. But this this is standard around all scientific fields where a scientist will put something forward and other mainstream scientists will go, ah, that's ridiculous. You don't know what you're talking about. It yeah, happens all the true. time with all sorts of research, and it certainly happens a little bit more with the alien claim. Right. But there are several mainstream scientists who do periodically publish papers really along these same lines and with this gentleman, too. And what they're specifically referring to are what they call uh, their fossilized life forms, fossilized diatoms. It's a type of algae. And several scientists have claimed that we've definitively proven that these things are extraterrestrial and we found them multiple times over Hmm. but other scientists say "Ah, nah that can't be that's got to be contamination right and so there's a lot of poo-pooing going on but you know it it, and i don't know you know who's right but it's certainly something to consider and it's hard to you know deny something that, that a person who spent their lives specifically focused on this type of life who's saying, I, I know my stuff, and I know that that is extraterrestrial. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. I mean, it's not so hard to squash your your scientific competitors. I mean, just take a look at back in the beginning. I mean, uh, if it wasn't for Haley, uh, Isaac Newton would have been squashed right. uh, had he not right. come along and saved his career. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, can't help it. 
got to know, uh, what are some of the these celebrities that you uh, are referencing in here? You said some musicians and celebrities. Yeah, sure. Sammy Hagar, he's always been vocal about his uh, extraterrestrial beliefs and extraterrestrial encounters. Well, he, he was drunk some... on tequila. I'm not sure he counts. Well, that's true. <laughs> and he said that, uh, you know, it might have played a role in some <laughs> of it. But, no, he's got some, some elaborate stories about encounters with beings and he's even gone on tv and interviews and and talked about that Um, he published a book i think in 2011 called red my uncensored life in rock and that includes some of his his encounters there but he also went on the dr drew show and shared those encounters with him pretty crazy stuff but there's so many dan Aykroyd, really uh, nick jonas casey musgraves uh Tom DeLong is certainly one, and oh, I, yeah. I'd love to bring him up because he's doing so many exciting things right now in the world of UFOs because he started his own company that has a large component focused on UFOs. Yeah, he's a weird one to me because he really just sort of, when I heard about it, it was, uh, you know, as a guy who really kind of grew up in the punk scene, you know, and they were sort of after me. We kind of considered them some MTV punk or whatever. Um, right. You know, it was hard for me to put any credibility behind it because the high school Chauncey who still hides in the back of my brain was just all, this is lame, you know, but it just seems to get bigger and bigger. So, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Is there credibility to what he's doing? Well, I will preface this by saying I am biased because I did actually work for Tom. So, um, well, don't tell him I said that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. but no. I, I, this I is just work, between work you and me, right? <laughs> at, at the start of To the Stars, I, I did work with Tom, but uh, you know, stepping back and looking objectively, I mean, I even was one of the probably the first people in the UFO field to to interview Tom because I was aware of his fascination with UFOs because he'd always been vocal about it. And so, in 2012, I believe, I did an interview with Tom and talked about that. And you know, at that time. He had been seriously researching the UFO subject for a longer period of time than most of the uh, key players in the UFO field, the big biggest UFO researchers. And people laugh when I say this, but I still stand by this claim. You know, I've, I've met pretty much everybody in the UFO field. I know all of the leading researchers. And Tom is probably the most well-read person I've ever met on the subject of UFOs. Really? Really. Hmm. Yeah, that's totally interesting because, you know, it he might was... not always come across like that, but, you know, he is a rock star. <laughs> well, no, I, I understood that. So when I heard this stuff coming out, you know, a big part of me was like, are they latching on to his rock star status and giving him more credibility, thinking that it's going to sell something? You know what I mean? Well, it's, you know, you can't deny that that's opening a lot of doors, and it certainly has. It's given him access to high level people, and now those high level people are on his team with to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. And, yeah, they're doing some exciting things. And they've, they've got TV shows coming out now. They've got movies coming out. They just today, Variety announced that uh, they signed a deal with TBS for one of his animated paranormal series called Strange Times. So he's a mover and shaker and, you know, certainly given us a lot to talk about. I mean, it's his group that's responsible for giving us the fun tic-tac to talk about right. and for yeah. exposing Pentagon's program, ATIP is what it was called. Um, so, you know, he's, he's one of the most exciting people to watch right now in the UFO field, and, and people like to 
criticize him and make fun of him because he's just Tom DeLong from Blink-182. Right. But, you know, i got to give the guy props. He's done a lot. Well, I will definitely give him a reconsideration. And there's, uh, you know, you can't argue with results. And, man, I hope he gets some. And, you know, I hope. That's right. I, you know, and, and even if he, he gets nothing, you know, it doesn't doesn't hurt me. And I don't understand, you know, people like to give hate in the UFO field, you know, for other people trying to do things their way. I think more the merrier, right? I mean, let's try all the things and let everybody do all their things, and if we get something out of it, great. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. agree, especially when we're dealing with something that has the word unidentified at the beginning. You know, right. um, we're obviously dealing with a broad uh, topic to deliver. You know, the the one thing that I've been really kind of thrown off with it, with the change in the UFO community is that uh, – the sort of um, overtaking of the spiritual aspect of it. You know, there's this whole influx of this uh, spiritual uh, movement in there. What, what's your take on that stuff? Man, there's there's a, a, a little uh, click of everything in the UFO world, and that spiritual thing, it, it plays a large role or certainly has a large population within the UFO community. That's not my scene. You know, I'm, I'm more of the, the scientifically minded kind of nuts and bolts area. So I haven't gravitated towards any of that because um, I'm also more of a journalist and I like to approach this, this subject with the cautious skepticism that it deserves. Um, but with the, the spiritual stuff and with even some of the more overcomplicating the UFO topic by itself, by, you know, trying to force explanations um, like interdimensional beings or, or, you know, us from the future, all these things that, you know, become trendy in explaining what UFOs are, where they're coming from, or what, what intentions might be. You know, I think it's because researchers get bored and they feel like they need to come up with something new. Right, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's my opinion, and, you know, they... they some of the, the less savory uh, researchers, I think, do that because they're catering to, to an audience that's hungry for answers. And I think that's irresponsible and sloppy. But there are people out there who are happy to do it. Right. Well, nothing brings the masses like fear and answer. All right. You're listening to Jason McClellan here on Radio Wasteland. When we come back, we're talking about his book, Only Weirdos See UFOs. And I want to ask you what you find to be the most credible sighting you got in there. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest Jason McClellan. We're talking about his books only weird his book, Only Weirdo C UFO. Uh Jason, what do you find to be the most credible um sighting that you have reported on in here? Well, I think there are plenty of credible ones, you know, certainly thinking about like Ronald Reagan, um uh, and when you have presidents seeing UFOs, that's kind of something that you scratch your head and go, oh, maybe I should pay attention to this. But, uh, you know, people see UFOs all the time, and I, I think witnesses are generally credible when they're talking about something, um, depending on <laughs> what the situation was. But I will point to the Phoenix Lights. You might be familiar with the Phoenix Lights. Oh, yeah. It's the largest mass UFO sighting in modern times, and it uh, occurred in March of 1997. And in the book, I specifically mentioned Fife Symington, who was Arizona's governor at the time of the Phoenix Lights. And so the Phoenix Lights spawned national and international headlines. And a couple months after the incident, Fife Symington held 
uh, notorious press conference where he seemingly made fun of the event. He dressed his uh, head of staff in an alien costume and brought him out and said, I found the person who was responsible and had this guy dressed as an alien and took that mask off and said, this just goes to show you guys are taking this way too seriously. So that pissed a lot of UFO people off. You know, they thought he wasn't taking it seriously because this was, you know, a very pretty serious situation where we had this, there were multiple events, but really massive, like multiple football field-sized craft that traversed the state um, was one of the things that, that occurred that night. The other was a series of seven lights that hung motionless in the sky. Um, people wanted answers. You know, that's pretty freaky stuff. And here, Symington seemingly was making fun of it. But years later, um, he went on CNN in 20, uh, I think it was 2007, to talk about the Phoenix Lights, and he admitted that he, too, saw... Uh, a craft that night, and he's since done many interviews since then about this incident, and he said that what he saw that night was not of this earth. Yeah, I have to admit that the uh, Phoenix Lights are one of those ones that when I look at it and I look at the video of it, you know, other than the government stupidly testing um, drones that work in unison for the seven lights or something like that, I mean, why would they test it over literally one of the most populated cities in the country. You know, it's it's ridiculous. I find that one to be just absolutely amazing. That's one of the ones that makes me question what's going on. Well, and here is Symington, the, the state's governor. He couldn't get answers. He was stonewalled every, every place he went. He went to Luke Air Force Base, and they wouldn't give an answer. They denied having anything to do with it for the longest time. Then they finally said, oh, yeah, we were dropping flares then, but the time that they said they were dropping flares didn't align with when the, inc- when the inc- instances happened. But also, I did, I saw the Phoenix Lights. You know, I live in Arizona. I grew up out in the desert. I was outside that night and I observed the lights myself for 40 minutes. But I also grew up with a line of sight to uh, the Barry Goldwater Range where the flares were frequently dropped. So I was well aware of what military flares look like. Those weren't flares. But the fact that Symington, a governor um, and former military pilot, saw saw this thing that night and said, "We don't have anything like that. That clearly is not from this planet." You know, that's pretty exciting. So, did the governor ever say why he did the whole uh, stupid uh, alien suit thing? He sure did. He said his his intent was only to try to calm people down to prevent panic. He said that he he feels his the role of people in in public office like that is to keep people calm. So yeah, that, huh. that was what he was trying to do. And I get that. I do. I mean, I get that. Uh, you know, it may not be exactly what I want, but, um, you know, I mean, I get the the feeling of, of the need to yeah, do that, absolutely. I guess. Uh, but, yeah, that is definitely the one that is actually most mind-blowing for me as well. Um, so uh, what do you got coming up here next in your life there, Jason? Well, I'm always entirely too busy. Uh, I, I do have a couple other books in the works, but I'm not ready to announce details on those yet, but they are UFO-related, of course. But I do run a website called RoguePlanet.tv. That's my media company where I focus all my strange efforts now, and I've got a great team with me, and we do podcasts and web series and all sorts of stuff. So I've got a, a UFO podcast called Unknown that I do. But I also, like I said, I speak at a lot of uh, Comic-Cons and things like that. So I just spoke at AlienCon in Baltimore, 
and uh, there's another one coming up in Los Angeles, and those things are just massive and fun. I can't believe how big they are. AlienCon is fairly new, but it's like a hybrid of Comic-Con and a UFO conference, and it's essentially it's put on by the people who do Ancient Aliens. So it's, it's meant to be like an Ancient Aliens fan fest, mm-hmm. but... It is incredible. I mean, they get tens of thousands of people at these things, and they fill convention centers. It's unreal. And uh, so, I'll probably be popping into the LA one too, if to check it out for nothing else. Yeah, and they have a just a like a lot of credible speakers and stuff like that. So this Alien Con actually, we had a we had a, a guest on before Ryan Sprague, and he he had yeah. spoken at one of these, and um, so Alien Con. When it's in Baltimore and when it's in L.A., it's the same. The same uh, thing, yeah. Same they people just, putting just, it on. Baltimore is the first time they tested out doing something on the East Coast, so I think they're going to bounce back and forth um, every six months or so. But, yeah, yeah Ryan and I did, did uh, some panels together in Baltimore. So uh, Interesting, because, uh, you know, I've seen some of these conventions, and I think, man, I'd really like to go. I wish that it was closer to me. And uh, so I like the idea of the Turing Convention. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, and I think the I think the LA one is going to be a lot of fun. Tons of people. It's going to be going to be great. And they they do cosplay there and stuff. So people are in costumes. You don't get that usually at UFO conferences because t- a typical UFO conference is largely academic, and the people there kind of frown on lighthearted anything with UFOs and extraterrestrials. They don't want to see costumes. They don't want to see you know Spock ears. You know anything that that makes light of the UFO topic. Oh, well, that stuff's so fun. Uh, a friend of ours, a friend Indeed. of the show, uh, William Pullen, he always goes to the Roswell Festival. And I see I all his pictures. I saw him in Roswell this last year. Yeah, I see all his pictures, and they look so much fun. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And plus, I take my kids to cosplay conventions. Uh, they love them, and, uh, and it's really just a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, I agree 100%. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. You've been listening to Jason McClellan talking about his book, Only Weirdo See UFOs. Uh, Jason, before we go to break, where can people find that book? On Amazon. You can find it more information at RoguePlanet.tv or just Amazon. Sounds good. Jason McClellan, Only Weirdo See UFOs. Check out the book. You've been listening to Radio Wasteland. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. We've been talking to our guest, Jason McClellan, about his book, Only Weirdos See UFOs. That's right. What would you think of this one, Kara? That was awesome. I thought so, too. <laughs> you know, um, and I need to check out the video of the Phoenix Lights. I, I still haven't, and I've, I've heard so much about that particular sighting. I was looking over Jared's shoulder as we were yeah. doing the interview, and he was looking at him. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah. Geez, I should have been looking over, you know, Jared surfing the web on my notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we need to talk to Andrea about making a necessary part of being on the show is delivering us a book. You know? <laughs> I think we'd get fewer people. You think so? Oh, you, you need a book. Uh, you don't think breaker. we should get a free book if they write the book? No, well, that'd be nice. But you know, it would be nice, and I don't might, think they I might don't want think, us to pay for the book. <laughs> I don't think that we should, but I would sure love it. You know, oh, I would yeah. sure love it, especially this one. A lot one. of cool authors coming through the show, certainly. Yeah, especially this one. It seems like um, it seems like it's put together in a digestible format. Oh yeah, there there it is. Jared's got it. Jared's got the video going. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, man, that's some psychedelic stuff. So those are the are the lights. 
it made it sound like there's lights and then there was a huge craft and like those were separate things. The huge Is craft that... was a new thing to me. I don't know. Okay. I know nothing about it. Yeah. I I always thought that it was like the lights people were thought were the edges of a huge craft they rather do. than discrete objects. Yeah, they do. They do think that. But it did sound to me like there was another sighting that maybe wasn't lit up. You know, uh, okay, from what he was saying, at least, uh, I don't, I can't attest to that. <laughs> the much, aliens but. are like, oh shoot, the headlights aren't on. Right. Oh totally. my God. We're being total jerks right now. <laughs> totally. We're going to get pulled over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this book sounds like it's in a really sort of digestible, um, coffee table Absolutely. book format. And really that's, that's good for me. You know, yeah. I, c I can read a couple few paragraphs at a time. That's a good skill to have. <laughs> yeah, I know. I read all day. You know, I read for eight hours a day. Right. You know, my job is to read. It's either to read code or it's to read sentences or it's to read how to do something or it's to analyze content. You know, I'm constantly. No, I, I get it. You've only got so much in your tank. I do. You know, it's, Everyone it's tough, does. you know, but this is one that I would love to have because, you know, frankly, you could read it paragraph at a time. Maybe mm -hmm. while using the restroom, mm -hmm. you know, that book could be flagged at the, uh, at the Barnes and Noble. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now I know what to get you for Christmas. Right. Totally. Yeah. All right. A uh, live alien specimen. A live, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's Absolutely. where I was going with that. And clearly. a Bigfoot corpse. And a Bigfoot corpse. Right. Yeah. All right. You're listening to Radio Wasteland. Come on back. Radio Wasteland. Uh, next week, coming up, we have Shamanic Kabbalah with our guest, Daniel Moeller. Mm. Uh, you know anything <laughs> about Shamanic Kabbalah? I don't. I assume it's similar to witchcraft. And I'm also conditioned now to, like, when I hear Moeller, I think. Special it, counsel. It's M-O-L-E-R. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's Moeller. <laughs> you know. Like, oh, God, they're, yeah. they're bringing in Shamanic Kabbalah to... So when I hear Kabbalah, I, I initially think of two things. I think of uh, Madonna, who okay. is uh, – that's kind of her religion thing. Mm -hmm. And then I also think of um, – I have this great book that's like an A to Z dictionary of demons and angels. Ah. It's like the okay. A to Z book of angels, including fallen angels. Right. And um, 
you know, not many of them actually show up in the Bible, and the Bible doesn't really right. discuss too many. Yeah, there's a lot of like there's Jewish, like four in the Bible. There's Jewish folklore mm-hmm. that's kind of a religion onto itself that often kind of gets lumped in with the Bible because obviously it had a big influence on it. Right, and being raised Catholic, there's the apocrypha, mm-hmm. the apocrypha, or I don't know how to I say. I think it's apocrypha. Right, but I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't that good. Um, and then a lot of them came from the Kabbalah. Yeah, you know. So it like. Yeah, exactly. I'm definitely uh, interested. I'm sure this is not what the guy wants to talk about, but I'm going to have to pick his brain a little bit about about demons, about fallen angels in the Kabbalah, because like, um, basically, Kabbalah I know of as being a book of Jewish mysticism. Right, and. You know, it just makes me wonder what that means. It's weird, you know, uh, especially, you know, here in the United States, uh, especially the part of the country we live in, there's not a huge Jewish culture. And really everybody we know is Christian, if anything. Right. And um, Christians in general have distanced themselves from anything having to do with mysticism or magic. That's true. But I, I think there is a huge influence still. You know, if you talk about, like, Semitic mysticism versus, I don't know, the mysticism of natives in ancient Kazakhstan or or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, there's much more influence on major monotheistic religions just because it's, like, it's sort of the religion that's first cousin to these other religions that are actually big. Right. So... I don't know if that made any sense. But. No, no, it does, because a lot of these religions are cut from the same cloth. You exactly. Know, if you go so. back far enough, you know, um, so, you, you can see that Muslimism, you know, Islam, Islam, uh, yeah. Islam Christianity, and Judaism, Judaism are all connected. Exactly. And, and, like, Jewish mysticism has the advantage of being, by nature, fully compatible with... Judaism and Christianity and Islam too I I suppose it would be um just in the sense that like a lot of the entities referred to in the Kabbalah like they could be in the Bible but they're not really right they you can't. know that's not what the Bible's about but right. they could be there right you know <laughs> well the Old Testament is part of Judaism exactly or at least uh most of the books of the Old Testament and it's you know, by its nature, also part of Christianity and Islam. They right. also believe in it. So. Right. You know, and and I can't even address that without going back to, you know, the, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. It really just blows my mind how connected and how far back all these things are. Yeah. You know, and as a person who, who has no religious belief, I, I see the connection all the way back. And I'm just all like, man, how did this hold on for this long? Well, you know, it all goes back to the Proto-Indo-European religion. Is that what it does? Um, okay. <laughs> you said that so matter-of-factly. You're just all, you know, it all goes back to the Proto, uh, you know. Okay, no, actually, this is cool. Um, so there's a group of people, the Proto-Indo-Europeans, who lived longer ago than than writing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they predated the Mesopotamians, which are basically the first culture that wrote things down. But we know about them... Because, you know, we have archaeological evidence of them moving around, mm-hmm. and we know we can look at language and see, you know, similarities in European languages, Asian languages, languages in, in Africa, et cetera, et cetera, in the Middle East. And we can see similarities and piece together 
a lot of of what their religion might have been. So like we know the names of a lot of their gods and and vaguely how they were pronounced. For instance, this this one's cool. We know the Sky Father. It literally means Sky Father. Deus Pater was their main god, which later um turned into uh was shortened to Zeus in Greek. Deus became Zeus. Oh, yeah. Turned into Jupiter. Jupiter, right. as you would say it, you know, in, in Roman situations. Uh, it, so <laughs> when you look at all these religions and say, why is there always like this one head patriarchal de- deity? Why is there always like a goddess of the hunt or whatever? Right. You know, why are there all these? We- why is there a god of the underworld? Why are there these weird correspondences that describe a very similar set of pantheons? Even when you're looking at Norse or or Mediterranean or or even Asian mythology, it's because it's all the same religion. It's Proto-Indo-European religion. Aliens. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> or it just happened that this one group survived, and now we're really familiar with it. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there are just a lot of belief systems that have died off over the years. It's exactly. hard for me to believe that a belief system has lasted for, in this case, we're talking like ten thousand years. Yes. Um, and that it's maintained. Yeah. That it's lasted. It 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 leads you to believe that something is reinforcing it along the way. 10,000 years is a long 10, time. 10,000 years is a very long time. And and it is it is very interesting to, you know, the Proto-Indo-Europeans, um, they weren't the only people who existed. That They were one group of people. They were basically a tribe that expanded. Right. There are others. You know, it could have been someone else whose religion, you know, had, had completely different concepts. Maybe it didn't even have gods. Maybe the gods worked in different ways, you know. There are lots of religions in this world that aren't based on the Proto-Indo-European religion, and they're often, you know, very weird right. in comparison to what we're familiar with, because essentially all the major religions of the world, when I say major, I, I mean really, really major, like, you know, the monotheistic ones, Hinduism, not Taoism or Buddhism, I guess, so not those, not Shinto, but... Geez, most of the others right. are really based on this. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy odd stuff. It, you know, it it just kind of depresses me that we'll never know. You know that we'll never actually know. Yeah, um, maybe mankind will, but I won't. Uh, I won't survive to know. And really, I just want to know. You know, I want to yeah. know. Like, you know, my favorite, my favorite thing when it comes to paranormal to anything is prehistory because I'm oh, blown absolutely. away at the fact that that humans were humans for about 200,000 years. Yeah, we're like so the people old. that we are today. Yet we're saying that we're piecing together pre-writing history from 10,000 years ago and talking about how long it is when literally 20 times that amount of time went on with humans absolutely. just like we are here today and what nobody built a city Nobody built a city in 190,000 years. There was no culture that came up. Yeah. No, I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I, it's just, we haven't found it yet. Yeah. You know, it's but free. yeah, it's weird. We've got, you know, 200 years of industrial, of industrialization, 5,000 years of writing, 
you know, 10,000 years of archaeological record and, and 200,000 years of, of humans. Right. So it's like, that's a lot of time to, <laughs> that's a lot of time to hide some really significant stuff. You totally. know, in that ancient abyss. Yeah. Have you ever seen the, uh, have you ever seen like on the History Channel, the like after humans show where it like shows you what happens like 10 years after humans? Like if every human disappeared off the planet, here's what would happen in New York City. And it goes right. 10 years, you know, 100 years, 1,000 years. And yeah. It shows wouldn't take long how quickly for... basically every aspect of us is just gone. Plastic, though. Plastic takes an awfully long time. To, Maybe they didn't make plastic. To really degrade. Yeah. <laughs> they Maybe must they have didn't not get that far. Yeah. I'm not saying they had flying cars or anything. You know? Right. They might have, though. But uh, but the idea that there were agricultural civilizations, you know, 120,000 years ago, and, and there's just no longer any evidence, that's really plausible. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I not only find it plausible, I find it it's hard to believe improbable that, that, that there happen. wasn't. Yeah. You know, uh, yet uh, our science seems to be pretty convinced that uh, it wasn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's some context I'm I'm missing as as not being an anthropologist, right? But you know, this is <laughs> anthropology disagreeing with anthropologists are saying like, you know, that seems a little iffy. That's a little different than disagreeing with a physicist, right? Right. Let's as sciences go, it's a little bit squishier. It is. It's, it is absolutely. Yeah, it's a, It's definitely not an exact science because right. you don't know what you don't know because you're not solving an equation. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very culturally based. Right. You know these kind of assumptions we make about the past. So. Totally. All right. Well, you've been to listening say. to Radio Wasteland. Don't forget to tune in next week for Shamanic Kabbalah. Thanks for checking us out.
They injected them with tiny chanting nanobots And when we hear your doggy box She's singing along to the tiny marching army Patriotic song For short, she's not a terrier, she's a terrorist, she's the hairiest and the scariest in her court. The chow and the the boxer and the doxer, and the poodle, the whole kit and Run the world to 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 run the world